0: Morning, everyone. Uh, Good to be with you today, and to uh, share with you in God's word from this passage. It's an extraordinarily long passage, and so uh, as uh, as part, I hope you've got another two or three hours. It's uh, a privilege to be asked to share with you once again, and uh, you are doing a series called Mission. Unstoppable. I'm glad you remember the title. That's excellent. And part of what we want to do today is to look at what that means in this particular passage. Um, we won't be able to do it, as you are sure are very glad, that I won't be giving an, an exhaustive exegesis of each verse. We're going to look at it in one particular understanding. This text that was read to you so well this morning uh, deals with a subject that is the antithesis of grace. It deals with the subject of prejudice. And as that name suggests, prejudice is based upon one's own values when you prejudge someone. Not that you and I would ever do that, would we? Well, guess what? The truth is, all of us come uh, unknowingly with a set of values that have been established as we're growing up that cause us to feel a certain way to anyone who's different to us. And the nature of what would happen to the Christian church is governed by what happens in chapter 10. It's incredibly significant for the vitality of the church that lies ahead uh, we don't realise it, but prejudice exists in all manner of ways. A story is told of a, a judge who glared down at a prospective juror, and this prospective juror said, "You know, I, I can't, I can't be on this jury. Um, I'm biased. I, I look at that man, and I'm convinced that he's guilty." And the judge scowled and replied, that man is not the defendant, he's the attorney. How quickly we bring false conclusions. I don't know, has, have you ever heard of Mahatma Gandhi? Did you know that in his autobiography, that during his student days, he was interested in the Bible, deeply touched by reading the Gospels, he seriously considered becoming a convert. Christianity seemed to offer the real solution to the caste system, the division that exists amongst Indians. One Sunday, he went to a church to see the minister and asked for instruction on the way of salvation and in other Christian doctrines. But when he entered the sanctuary, the ushers refused him a seat and suggested that he go and worship with his own people. He left and never went back. If Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain as a Hindu. In our society, our identity, our sense of worth, sense of significance and security has been established based on some form of measurement. We evaluate ourselves and others as a consequence. How they look, how clever they are, how much they might own, what they have done. And the radical nature of the gospel of grace removes measures of comparison for all. You see, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. There is nothing in us of ourselves that would warrant our showing preference for one another. Does that make sense? Can you imagine if the truth of what was experienced by Gandhi hadn't had, in its essence, the significance of the freedom of acceptance that the gospel brings. The challenge for you as a church, the challenge for me as an individual, is to live the lessons that come out of this passage for us and why we can. Because in the history that the church is going through, there's challenges that this addresses forever. Tremendous um, passage for us to look at. You've had a a bit of an overview of uh, the book of Acts so far. You've been going through nine chapters already. Let's summarise quickly, very briefly, where you've been. And uh, we will see, by means of introduction, that the first thing you looked at was that there was a waiting on God. Patience was required to wait upon God after Jesus had died. Then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given to Jewish believers. And Peter was then seen as an empowered disciple who was willing to go through and overcome all sorts of barriers for the testimony of his faith in Jesus. Then persecution from the Jews came upon those who had become followers of Jesus. And in the midst of that persecution, there was proclamation as Stephen's testimony was made clear. And he died as the first martyr for the church, willing to believe that in Jesus alone was life. Then we saw Philip's witness to that uh, band of renegade half-breeds, the Samaritans. How could it be that a Samaritan would ever be accepted as a true person of God? Then the conversion of Paul, or Saul as he was. Who would have imagined that this this, uh, reprobate, this, uh, this killer of Christians, would ever come to faith? And then of uh, Peter's ministry. From the conversion of Saul to be the apostle to the Gentiles, Luke in this passage proceeds to the conversion of Cornelius, the first Gentile to become a believer. And both of those conversions have a considerable impact in what the rest of the book of Acts will talk about. Uh, both apostles, Peter, and Paul are at the core of what happens in the book of Acts. As Acts 10 opens, the church is perhaps five or six years old, the gospel had swept through Judea, and many Jewish converts had come into the church, Philip had conducted an, an effective ministry among the Samaritans and to his credit Peter had embraced these Samaritans who had come to faith as his brothers. Do you, do you remember how difficult it was for them to do that, for the, the inner hatred that existed amongst the Samaritans, so much so as uh, the, they uh, went through Samaria, when most Jews would not go through Samaria. Remember that when they did that with Jesus? Why? Because these were unclean people. They would walk around Samaria rather than go through it. They had understood in great detail that now... God was bringing together those who were half-breeds from Jewish life to become followers of the King. So as we look at this chapter, I'm conscious that unless the Spirit of God speaks, we're wasting our time. So would you just bow with me for a moment as we ponder what God wants to say. Uh, Father, we recognise that we are people full of prejudice. Uh, We are those who feel certain ways. Uh, We look, examine and make uh, judgments in our mind. And yet you in your mercy and grace have seen us in our wickedness and you have made it possible uh, for us to be those who show that, that truth of your grace in the manner that we deal as people with one another and with those who are in the world round about us. Would you speak to us by the power of your spirit to show how this might apply in the circumstances that we come to, as we learn the lessons that uh, Peter learned, as we learn the lessons that Cornelius learned, as we seek to break down prejudices in our behaviour towards others. And we ask that for the glory of your name, a God who has made it possible that people from every part of this world might become followers of the Lord Jesus. Speak to us, we would pray. Amen. So uh, let's look at what it means in breaking down the prejudices that there are as we look at the the kingdom work being done in Acts chapter 10. All right? So let's look at the the breaking down in prejudice, first of all, in the Gentile, in Cornelius, and that's seen in the first eight verses. Uh, Who is Cornelius? A, A Gentile whose profession was as a military officer in Caesarea. Uh, As the verse says, uh, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. Centurion means that he was a person who controlled how many people? A hundred. A cohort was a group of people of more than than, uh, 600 and uh, became part and parcel of what it meant to provide a a, a significant military presence in a city. And here they were all from Rome, Italians, background. And he was stationed in Caesarea. Caesarea was the administrative capital of the province of Judea and it had a wonderful harbour that was built by Herod the Great. And you can guess that Caesarea was named after Caesar. Caesar. All right? in the province of Judea. So you can imagine that this was not seen as a very good place for strong Jewish people to visit. It was seen as a Gentile city and the strict Jew would never enter there if you could possibly avoid it. Make sense? So this is a bit of the the background that comes. To to a faithful Jew, the city of Caesarea uh, represented everything that was wrong with Israel. Uh, Roman domination, Gentile occupation, and added to with compromising Hellenistic Jews. This was the last place that a Jewish Christian would be looking to share the gospel. All right? That's the scene where Cornelius is. This man, this centurion, had an unusual reverence for God. And into that, this devout man, God-fearing man, listed his entire household in worship. Got it? That's the nature of who he is. He was a benevolent man. He would give to the poor. Uh, He didn't see money as his own possession. He saw it as a means of doing good. Um, Anyone here wealthy? You all are wealthy. You live in Australia. You are wealthier than 80% of the world simply because you live here. Anyone own their own home? Live in a home. Imagine how wealthy we are and yet we are often self-centred in the way that we deal with... I think it's a great idea that your church wants to keep giving a a proportion to those in need, whether that's through the work of mission or whether that's through the community, to, to have our heart as churches beyond ourselves. But he was more than just a benevolent man, wasn't he? More than a charitable man. He was a praying man. In uh, my 50 years of life as a Christian, uh, the least attended uh, aspect of our church life has been prayer in the Western world. When I lived overseas in uh, Irian West Papua, uh, it was a foundational part of the life of those Dhanis who came to faith. Uh, our education, our independence has left us deprived of what is an essential discipline of Christian life. At a personal level, uh, you and I know the challenges that exist. Uh, We spend more time listening to others than we do listening to God. Here was a man who spent time diligently in prayer to a God he didn't even fully know but knew existed. And in that time, at about 3pm in the afternoon, as he was praying, God brought a vision to him of an angel. And he recognised it as something that was incredible before him. And this this was a message that spoke to him. I don't know what your experience is of visions. Um, I don't have them uh, often, but occasionally. But when I was overseas, it was much more common. Uh, I could tell you a situation where one of my students came up to me and said, "Bapa Jeff, please pray for my family. Uh, uh, My mother is not well. And... uh, His family was in a remote part of uh, the highlands of West Papua. And I I said, why do you want me to pray? God has revealed that she is sick. And uh, two days later, on our radio skit, I got a message from the missionary there to say that uh, one of the the families had walked in to say that the, the, uh, the mother of a son at... College who was sick, could she let him know? Could we let him know? You see, God can speak in ways that you and I often are unaware of. And he spoke, and he spoke powerfully to the life of Cornelius. And as he spoke, he said simply these things. Notice his 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 response. What is it, Lord? Does that remind you of a little Samuel? What is it, Lord? Dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. Wow. This is incredible because you know why? Cornelius wasn't a proselyte. He had not become a Jewish worshipper. He was not circumcised when you read Acts 11.3. He would never consent to becoming a Jewish convert. He could learn from their religion, but he would never become one of them. He had a pre-existing prejudice. How would a Gentile ever uh, become someone who believes in the way that the Jews believed? But he was obedient. And he sent men to Joppa, to see Peter and ask him what to do. That's about 32 miles along the coast to the south to fetch Simon Peter, who was staying by the sea with his namesake, Simon the Tanner, at Joppa. Anyone remember the name Joppa? Yeah, it was centuries earlier that the disobedient prophet Jonah, who was to go to the Gentiles bounded a ship in his foolish attempt to run away from God. Now here is a Gentile going to Joppa to find a believer. Isn't that amazing? The irony of the purposes of God in significance of his history. He was obedient, wasn't he? Obedient. The angel did not preach the gospel to the centurion. That was entrusted to the Apostle Peter. And Cornelius sent off two trusted household servants and his most trusted military orderly to find Simon Peter. Cornelius would seek the answer to his heart's need from a Jew, how God seeks to humble us that we might depend simply on him. The primary question was how God had to deal with Peter, the Jew. How would he succeed in breaking down the prejudice that was deeply seated in Peter's own heart towards Gentiles? Uh, That's where the next step of the journey is in verses 9 to 22. I, I want you to understand, to break down the prejudice in the Jew was a significant thing. Their religion as a Jew, was the binding force that kept Jews together. In particular, their belief that God had called them to be a distinctive people who worshipped the only true and living God. Remember their rules, uh, governing the Sabbath, the temple, intermarriage, worship and cleansing, diet and foods they could and could not eat. They had become separatists, extremely prejudiced, building barriers and partitions between themselves and other people, those who differed to them. Prejudice became so deep-seated in them that attitudes were adopted such that they called other people dogs, another human being, dogs. They would have no contact with a Gentile unless absolutely necessary. Then after contact, they had to go through a religious ceremony to cleanse themselves. They would not help a Gentile woman who was giving birth lest another Gentile be born into the world. Do you see the level of prejudice that exists? That would never exist in our own hearts, would it? Towards anyone who might do something different to us. Or any other church who didn't operate the way that we did. Or a Christian who comes from another part of the world who doesn't believe quite the same as we do. You see, prejudice is a deep issue if the church is to be on a mission that is unstoppable. Prejudice at every level stops the truth of what it means to love one another and to love God. So now we look at Peter and here he is, a man with a deep prayer life. And the next day as Peter was on the housetop about the sixth hour. Remember they prayed at different hours throughout the time? Here it was and he began to pray. He was really hungry. It's 12 o'clock, it's lunchtime. Looking for something to eat. Peter was a man of prayer. But as He prayed. As he was in that hungry state, God was making preparations for something to change. And it was a heavenly trance that he entered into. Was of heaven, sometimes translated of skies, the word in the Greek, uranos, and it simply means that which is in a physical sense not part of this earth. Got that? So here it is. This is beyond his own environment. God speaks to him. He saw something significant. Saw a picture of a vessel, a platter full of animals. And his instructions were to get up and kill and eat. But all of these things were unclean animals. And Peter, out of his Jewish nature says, "I'm not going to do that." He says, "No, Lord, isn't that completely opposite to the truth of Lord? When God says, do something, what should be our response? Yes, Lord. And yet you and I battle with that truth all the time, don't we? But he said, no, Lord, I I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. He had to do something repulsive, repulsive to a devout Jew, kill and eat. But he was being corrected. Because what God has cleansed, then don't call it unclean. Um, it's interesting, uh, commentator Alexander White comments that Peter was standing uh, above them, uh, scouting out and spitting on them all. Uh, it's also like ourselves for how we also bundle up whole nations of men and throw them into the same unclean sheet. Whole churches that we know nothing about but their bad names that we've given them are in our sheet of excommunication also. All the other denominations of Christians in our land are common and unclean to us. Every party outside of our own party in the political state also. We have no language contemptuous enough wherewith to describe their wicked ways and their self-seeking schemes. That was something Alexander White said about 100 years ago about the church. And we who live today need to recognise the prejudice that exists uh, because of who we are. God brings this event to him three times uh, that he might know with absolute certainty that this is important, this is critical. Now, while Peter was there greatly perplexed in his mind as to what the vision might mean, Uh, the purposes of God were being fulfilled in a timely matter, wasn't it? Right at this time, at this very moment, there was happening downstairs below a visit to his place of staying. Where was he staying? Simon the Tanner. Isn't it strange that this Jewish person is staying with a tanner. What do tanners do? They they are those who prepare leather from dead and unclean animals. And out of this, God is pushing him a little way along towards the journey, helping him to understand how extensive he has to be in accepting others. While Peter was thinking about the trance, men arrived downstairs and asked for him. And he had a clear knowledge from God that he had to go down and to be with them. It was the Holy Spirit who told him to go downstairs. It was the Holy Spirit who made it clear in his heart uh, that he had to deal with them. He didn't know that the people downstairs were Gentiles yet, did he? Didn't have a clue about that. But he was told and he went, even though it was difficult. Have you ever had to do stuff that seemed unusual and just obeyed? And out of that, God does something significant. When we obey what the Spirit of God says to us, then there's often great reward. Um, I don't know how you operate as a church, uh, but I would encourage you... When the testimony of the Spirit is said in your midst as uh, you independently have come to the same conclusion, then do what he says when it comes to the direction that you travel in the future. If the Spirit of God uh, will speak to your leadership independently and they come with an understanding of that, that this is what God has been saying, uh, then they know that this is what God has been doing. Uh, As the body, when you pray, when the Spirit of God confirms that, then you can be uh, uh, sure that you are following what he's doing. That's the wonderful gift that we've been given, that, that God is at work within us by the power of his Spirit. So what did he do? He invited them in, gave them lodging. Gentiles. Was that a big step? Huge step, wasn't it? But he did it in obedience. He allowed the Spirit of God to empower him to do something in obedience to what God says that challenged him. Peter knew that he was doing something quite difficult. He was treading in troubled waters by associating with Gentiles. So what did he do? The next day he got up and went away and some of the brethren from Joppa went with him. This was testimony that this wasn't just something that Peter would experience. Two or three witnesses would verify the truth of what God was wanting to do. To go and uh, for him to speak to the Gentiles was going into troubled waters. Uh, On the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them. He had prepared, confident that what God had said would happen was going to happen. And what did he do? He, he kept his little family all to himself. No, he didn't do that, did he? This was something really significant. So he got all of his friends, all of his kinsmen, all of those round about to come and to hear and to see what was going to happen. These two men two different groups of people confrontation coming and we see in both their hearts humility when Peter entered Cornelius met him and fell at his feet fell at his feet here he is what was his role? he was a centurion He was a man of standing in this community, in Caesarea. And he fell at his feet and worshipped, recognised that here was someone God had sent him. And Peter, in his humility, said, Stand up, I too am just a man, significant, just a man like you. When he entered, he found many of those people assembled together. Um, And while it was a custom to bow before men of high honour, to show reverence and respect, uh, Peter had been humbled and forbade that act. And this is the lesson in verses 28 to 29. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or visit him and yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I ask for, for what reason have you sent for me? What was the lesson that was learned by Cornelius in verses 30 to 33? A man who truly seeks God moves God. Oh, how we need us to be those who seek him out in all of the aspects of life. And the man who seeks God must obey God. Um, and I'm, I'm not uh, not trying to blow my own trumpet or anything like that. But the truth of the journey is to follow God, to do what he wants, is a tough thing. It will go against the things that, uh, that are comfortable and easy for you. Uh, I've shared a little of my story with you. When we were overseas, our, uh, our firstborn son uh, suffered malaria nine times in 15 months, had cerebral malaria on three different occasions, That kills an infant in six hours. And uh, when we came home on furlough, uh, everyone was saying, the wise thing for you to do is to stay home. You will be taking your son to death. And uh, it was a deep burden upon us to know what God was saying. And yet my wife and I uh, independently knew that God was calling us to go back. And he's never had malaria ever since. Follow what he says to you, no matter what the cost might mean. We must obey what he says. Have it tested by others who know him and love him. Receive what the word of God declares. What's the outcome of this uh, breaking down of prejudice between these two men? In verses uh, uh, 34 to 43, it's all about preaching peace. God is no respecter of persons. He accepts anyone who fears him and works righteousness. And God sent his word to Israel. He sent Jesus Christ as the one proclaiming peace. And this is the truth. He, our Lord Jesus is Lord of all, everyone, of this universe, of all creation. And the message is he has been talked about and the news has spread all around. The suburb hearing about Jesus, there's the truth of that being made known by your actions, by the dinners that you've been having. Remember you used to invite people from the community in to participate in that? Begin in Galilee. That's where it was for Jesus. The message began and it has continued to spread as it did in Acts. And you'll follow that through in a wonderful way that this Jesus of Nazareth, God anointed him with Holy Spirit and with power. And proved who he was. Declared he is the anointed saviour. Declared that he has and is, because of that, able to do uh, exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ever imagine. Oh, hang on. Does that apply to us? A God who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we imagine because of his power that works within us. Amazing truth. And, and the Apostle Peter and those round about declare that they are witnesses. Are you witnesses to what Christ has done in, in changing your life? It's amazing what can happen, isn't it? If we will allow the truth of that to be. To preach Christ crucified. Christ risen up and raised up. To show that the resurrection of Jesus has been attested to. That this Jesus is not simply a a phantom, a spiritual being, but someone that you can eat and and share with forever and ever in in a resurrected body. But the story's much more than that, isn't it? That this Jesus is the one who shall judge the living and the dead. There is no other name given amongst men by which we must be saved. That's why this mission needs to be unstoppable. Unstoppable in this world. Unstoppable in this community. And it's only unstoppable when the people of God live out the truth of a life that is without prejudice. Hmm. You know why? What does a life without behavioural prejudice, you can't stop feeling differences with others, but you can treat people by the truth of the gospel. What does that look like for you? to reveal what it means. Well, it's, it won't be made possible by you unless you, like Cornelius, have experienced the sealing of that breaking down prejudice. That seal of breaking down prejudice is the Spirit of God at work within you. Now, how is the Spirit of God able to be at work within you? Um. Got to hear the truth of the word. Uh, and I don't know all of you. I know some of you. But, but unless you are born in you by the spirit of God, according to the truth of the gospel proclaimed, then the spirit of God uh, cannot abide within you. When you will begin and as you will symbolically surrender your whole life to God and you say, uh, I am no longer my own. I have been bought with a price. What does Paul say? I have been crucified with Christ. I, I, I no longer have the right to determine what I would choose to do anymore. My, my, Ill, my will Has been yielded to that which God wants. That's the journey of being a follower of His. That's that's what it meant for them to receive the Spirit of God. Uh, They testified to the truth of that in ways that made it clear to Peter that this was real. He had to know that these people were going to be followers of Jesus. And so they spoke in tongues and praised God. And as a consequence, they were declared and incorporated into the body by the the process of baptism. And all those who were there were then part of the body of Christ forever and ever and ever. You see, this is an amazing truth. The Gentiles who had received the Spirit of God and testified to that in ways that were were very clear were then immediately baptised into the church, into the body of believers who up to that time had simply been Jews, either half-Jews as Samaritans or those with a, a, a pure heritage. They are now included such ragamuffins as these terrible Roman oppressors the door for us was opened. Anyone here of Jewish heritage? No? So if it wasn't for what happened at this time, we wouldn't be here today. Of people from different nations, to gathered together, because prejudice was broken down in two individuals by the intervention of God. The challenge, uh, as we conclude, is to say, what does that look like when we break down prejudice? It happened in Cornelius. It happened in... Peter, there are lessons that we need to learn in breaking down prejudice and accepting others, to preach peace for one another. As far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. To be those who live under the compulsion of the Spirit of God to have, and you're going to deal with this uh, next week, an outcome of this breaking down of prejudice led to a worldwide vision that has been going on and one day will be complete when people from every tribe and tongue and nation are going to declare that Jesus is Lord. Every ethnic group declare that Jesus is Lord. And I'm sure that uh, Josh will take you through much more detail than I have today about those uh, chapter 11 and how that works out. But it begins by breaking down prejudice in our own hearts. Uh, We can... Prejudice is favourable or unfavourable. We can be prejudiced to people because of the colour of their skin. They look the same as us. One of the great things that is happening is there's an increased diversity of colour of skin within Australia. So that we see that it doesn't matter where a person's uh, origin might be, but what their heart is. That we, we don't value people simply because of their appearance. Pretty good, eh? You know how out of place I was in a dani village when the men only had penis cords on and the women had only grass skirts on but guess what they accepted me why because they knew the truth of the transforming work of the gospel The truth of the gospel is not seen, measured by performance. It's not how well a message is proclaimed, not how well we we use all the things that exist to do that, but whether the spirit of God works in a person's heart. It's not how clever a person is. Oh, just to let you know that, did you know I have more than five degrees? Right? So what? Does that make sense? You know what the the most important aspect is? A heart that sees the truth, not a knowledge that puffs up. Okay? What does it matter with what we possess? Uh, Josh, have you had to do many funerals? One. I've done many funerals. And I'll tell you one of the things that I can... Uh, acknowledge for you all that I haven't found one hearse with a trailer on it. Guess why? You can't take anything with you that is material, can you? Do we have a problem in this world with possessions? Yeah. Don't let things possess you except God himself. We are made in the image of God. Our salvation is by grace and grace alone. So, what does that mean? Love others as God has loved you. The gospel is pretty simple. It's shown in our behaviour. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men shall know that you are my disciples. Uh, May it be that this mission unstoppable that you read in the book of Acts uh, not only will be seen as an expression of the book of Acts but what will be the very nature of this church and the vision, the mission that is encompassed in that. Um, May his fire burn within us, the God of love, the God of salvation, the God of holiness, the one for our own personal transformation, for our sanctification. Our sanctification is simply seen in our obedient relationship as we live according to the truth of God's word by the power of His Spirit. Let me pray for you on your journey ahead for the glory of His name. Father, we say thank you that you love us. Uh, We look at ourselves and we know the truth of our sinfulness. We're amazed that the wonder of your gospel has been proclaimed, that we have heard it. Thank you for those who made it possible uh, for us to hear the good news. I think of those young folk at Sunnybank who did that for me 50 years ago. Thank you for that. Thank you for the opportunity to share that good news with those round about us in this community. Thank you that this church... Uh, wants to be part of your mission to see others come to know you and I pray father that their heart and their life will reveal the truth of a life that has uh, prejudice broken down that despite how they feel their behavior toward others would reveal the truth of their love for you and their love for one another bless you our God because we know with you nothing is impossible take us and use us in such a way that others will come to love you more Amen.